Hey, did you watch Money in the Bank? Because we sure shit did. Be honest, did you cry when Dean Ambrose won? Here's a question. What happens when you send our very own Mike Stallings to a live event? And finally, does Vince have his finger on the pulse of the NBA? Or is it the other way around? We hope to answer all these questions and much, much more on the following episode of Heel Section. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Raph Sparza back with another edition of Heel Section. We are so glad that you are joining us. We have a very special edition of this podcast, one that happened, well, I mean, geez, right after Money in the Bank has happened. And we just happen to have uh, my good friend and co-host Mike Stallings, who went to Money in the Bank. And we're about to get through all of that, but we want to say hello to you guys. Those of you who are new listening into our show, thank you so much. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you tell your friends about it. And uh, if you didn't check out last week's uh, installment, definitely go listen to that. Our good friend uh, Douglas, who is just destroying on the scene right now, that is Doug James. He is uh, super killing it and uh, had a great match with B-Boy over the weekend. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that one later. But uh, without any further ado, let's get to our good friend Mike Stallings. Mike, how is the recovery day after going to a WWE pay-per-view? It's a lot easier than I thought it would be to do. Yesterday, it was spent. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, you get, especially with something like that, we'll get into it a little further, being what happened, but like we were talking about earlier, when you get so dialed in and that energy just kind of takes over, yeah, I exerted a lot. I yelled, and very seldomly do I yell. I'm not really a woo kind of guy in any kind of facet in, in public, but... When you get, I mean, when you get in that universe, man, it's a hard thing to not yell, let's go and get behind some kind of, I mean, I'll call it the energy, man. It was, it was, I just drank it all in, man. Well, speaking of drinking it all in, if you guys are listening, it is hot as fuck right now. So yeah, I've got a fan on in the background. I don't give a shit if you hear it. That's how fucking hot it is. I looked up to look at the temperature on my phone and it just said, why are you even bothering? You know, it's hot as fuck. So I'm going to leave that aside. But I, I do want to say, the reason I bring up the heat is that you actually had to wait outside of arguably a place that's even hotter than here in Los Angeles. You were watching this in Las Vegas. So what was the scene like outside of, and where did it take place again? It was at the brand new arena, uh, the T-Mobile arena, which they put right smack dab in the middle in between um, the New York, New York and uh, Monte Carlo hotel resort and casinos i don't know if they really planned out their parking um adequately considering it's right smack dab in the middle but everything went smooth until until i tried i tried to get in of course as they may have it um the youtubers and the internets are not making it easy for a high-powered lens to get in and i found out the hard way so I had a different experience with the heat. It turned into me an hour of me walking around Las Vegas in about 110 degree weather. Thank God I'm at some kind of conditioning to where I can take it and I'm half Mexican so my skin doesn't rebel immediately. Mm. But it took me about an hour to figure out where I could go put this camera. I mean, I was two steps away from stashing into a bush, which was... Oh, no. No, for real. and which Mike, no. But it wasn't the problem. It wasn't me putting it in the bush and leaving it there. The problem was if somebody sees me stashing a bag anywhere near a hotel parking garage, they're going to think 
I mean, they were on high alert, yeah. high terrorism alert the night before because Trump was in town. So I was like, this is all bad. Ugh. Well, I mean, here's the nice thing that you mentioned. You mentioned that you're Mexican. And sometimes uh, my wife, she'll mention to me, she'll be like, yeah, you need to put on sunscreen or something. And I'm like, I don't. I'm Mexican. Nope. Nope. I mean, I spent six hours a day before doing um, traditional Mexican yard work. Mm. And I didn't know sunscreen. And I know that sunburn is going to turn into glory in about three days here. So I'm not worried about it. That's good. Well, okay. So you were able to do that. It, I mean, that's the whole thing is you went on an odyssey to go try and stash your camera away, which... Um, is, is weird. I, I have to ask this because I don't know if people really understand this. So in jujitsu right now, they're actually making this, uh, if you do go there, you can't like use what's called a professional lens to take photos of things. So I guess the main concern they have is, is that you won't try and usurp them with a professional camera if you're not media. Like, what are you trying to do with that camera? And why is that disadvantageous to what the dubs wants? Well, I think it's just so easy to put a stamp on it and then be able to kind of, I mean, if you want to think as a business point of it, um, put a stamp on it and make it your own and kind of put in your portfolio of like a professional thing. But I was even with like, at this point, I just want to see the show. I don't, I take it as like a photo essay so I can remember it. Mm. Um, not only I'm working on photography aspects, but I'm also still watching it. It's a lot easier to do that through a camera than use your phone because you end up pressing a lot of buttons. But yeah, I don't know what I don't know what they're thinking with um, that it being that big of a deal. But I guess that that's just the day and age we live in. I mean, uh, fellow heel section member Allen went to a Lucha Underground taping and got kicked out because um, he brought his phone out. Period. <laughs> they automatically assumed that he was tweeting or Facebooking spoilers. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's so ridiculous. I mean. <laughs> There's nothing funnier, I think, in the world of professional wrestling where you have storylines that are staged, they want to say, than spoiling a staged result, which is magic. So, yeah, I guess on the one side, I do understand it's hard to keep those storylines bottled forever. But Lucha Underground films those things, what, like four months in advance and go, eh. Yeah, it's a TV show. It's a full-blown TV show. Look at the audience the next time you watch it. There's no... It seems very controlled, and I always thought that just randomly to myself. Like, do they tell you? Like, do you have to put your phone in a locker, which I ended up putting my camera in a, in a locker in the New York, New York roller coaster area for 50 cents? Side note. But yeah, I don't, it's a weird thing. <clears throat> Everybody's taking pictures on their phones anyway, and they can instantly just share it. I, I don't, I, I'm really thinking it's just being able to put a stamp. I can just go make a stamp online and make it. Mm-hmm. Joe Pro and sell it. Well, okay. So the interesting thing for me about this particular aspect of this whole thing that's going on is the fact that, okay, yeah, there's money in the bank and Vince doesn't want you to think anything else is going on yesterday, but there was, and it was also the NBA uh, last game. It was a game seven turned out to be the most highest rated ABC telecast of a final game ever or just i think a game period so that means that a lot of eyeballs were there did that kind of change any of the atmosphere or mood at the live event completely there's a buzz around it the whole time but when we started figuring out what was really going on and i don't know it was kind of like one of those like urban like myths on the spot like the WWE banned all finals games from every TV in the arena. 
like spread like wildfire like everybody was saying that and the more we looked uh the minute we found a game it would transfer over to like promotions was coming to the t-mobile arena but yeah during the Dolph Ziggler Baron Corbin match was which was not fire at all uh people were chanting put the game on which I found kind of humorous and I kind of thought for a second like wow would they really put the game on (laughs) so being the day and age we live in um everybody was pretty much just dialed into their phones on whatever score tracker or wi-fi they had but when it came down to the last you know the second half in the fourth quarter and seeing how close it was it was got to the point where we thought we were just gonna leave completely we're gonna bail out on the entire arena that sounds insane that you would want it you paid for tickets to come see a show and that you wanted to leave yeah, but we're spoiled, man. You know how many we've done this before. That's that we have it in the back of our head, and it's just like that double. And you couldn't sword. even get like a stream of it on your phones. No, no at the fucking T-Mobile Vince, Arena. Vince owns the Wi-Fi in oh, Vegas God. at that point. No, it was just such an it was just such a weird thing to where you felt like they're doing everything in their power to block it off. But listen, if I were to tell you one thing, that's a big, big issue for T-Mobile and the fact that they have the free run of that area. If I were a competitor, I would make right next door the fucking Sprint, the fucking Verizon, and I'd be Apple, like, fuck Apple. you all. Oh, Apple's underground. I'm not even worried about them. I know they're already in there. I'm, I'm waiting for the day that Apple just goes, ha, hey, you fucking idiots, we own them all. We've just been fucking you over. What do you expect from T-Mobile anyway? It's the fourth, you know uh, what I mean? It was, it was such a hassle, but then it got real interesting, like, Fate like kind of started like clicking right when the Money in the Bank ladder match ended. It was like the minute uh, Dean Ambrose grabbed the case, there was like a flood of people just jamming up the stairs. And we actually found uh, like a breezeway to where you would go upstairs to the VIP area, which was closed off. But there was one TV which we could see, and it was me, Downey, and then like four like diehard. Uh, Cavs fans with the Braun jerseys watching the game from far away and it turned into people that were in the VIP area kind of just like wandering and standing in front of the TV and us starting, get out of the way! Move! Get out of the way! Get out of the way! <laughs> the minute I turned around, that started happening. There was about 60 people like on this small area watching a TV really far away, just really into it. It became a whole thing in itself. And it was kind of surreal because, you know, you're used to watching these games at home or at Mm. bars and stuff, but not at a huge (laughs) pay-per-view in your hometown or where you live. Yeah, Yeah, the WWF, and I'm all vested into it because I (laughs) love the PWG Ring of Honor aspect that I'll get into it about later, but, like, I was really there for that, but you can't... The Game 7 is a Game 7. Yeah. And, it's, of course, and then Brian kept on looking at his phone. It was so close, it was so close. We really thought we were leaving until they said there was no ins and outs. And we're like, shit. Well, you bring up Brian, and I have a couple of notes about him. I was, obviously, Brian Downey, a good friend of both of ours. Uh, good human being, terrible ankle lock. The thing about him, though, is he had this feeling, and you did too, in a different way, but his feeling was that... LeBron, he's one of the greatest of all times, and he's fantastic at what he does. LeBron is a great basketball player, not a good actor, terrible at crying, but super good at basketball. 
And the weirdest part about this whole scene that's going on is he's saying, he's like, you know, LeBron is truly the greatest heel in the entire NBA right now. But then he countered his own opinion by saying, I don't know, though. Why don't you like him? And I was like, he's not as good of a heel because if he wasn't in basketball, nobody would care about him. Like, I just I would have no feeling toward LeBron if he wasn't playing basketball. But Steph Curry, granted, he lost. He's got the whole thing. And Brian started mapping out in his own head and said, you know what? He's got a valet for a wife. He does heal things, too. <laughs> the mouth guard, he hit a fan in there. And I was like, and he does the one thing better than all of that. Because you, it's one thing to have just a valet or, you know, some kind of cool thing that you're doing to antagonize your hosts or talking shit. He may be the talent. The wife may be the beauty, but that child, Riley, is the brains of the operation. She's a star. It's it's insane. She Absolutely. Commands. You can't teach that kind of charisma with that, and she's had she's so advanced for being that young that she can even just eyeball the reporters and put the eyes. And I'm like, I'm, I'm watching you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's so advanced. But to go back on what you were saying, I think that's just the day and age we live in. Um, I was really fascinated when Kevin Owens came out to the cheers that he got, and I read an article on how heels are faces and faces are heels. <clears throat> I mean, that's the cool thing. You wanted to see LeBron talk smack to Steph Curry. That was just, oh, when he did that, when he swatted him, even when Steph Curry went up for the layup on the, the dead ball and he that swatted him, you're like, ooh, that's a good move. And then when he started talking shit to him, you're like, who is this guy? But I love it. You don't want to love it, but you want to see that in basketball. You want to see that in sports. There was the conflict right there. That got you sucked in, and it became cool. LeBron became cool with the Undertaker shirt. He had this kind of swag. He's taking over. And like, what was the whole thing about that? I mean, LeBron was breaking the streak. He was already making those sorts of things. But then he does the ultimate troll job after beating the Warriors and wears an Ultimate Warrior t-shirt today. It's, it's so beyond that, though. He knew he was in heel mode. He, he knew he had to do he had to break the streak, and he had to go three games, and he had to do that. In doing so, he did two things. Mm-hmm. He cemented himself as the best player in the world. He became instant legend contract status, which led somewhere to Ultimate Warrior. Now, he went from being a really good heel to being a legend in one move and he also made Steph Curry basically Roman Reigns <laughs> just so books that to the greatest potential and you get to the cusp and he gets to his mania and the fans just took a dump on him in one move you see he was just so exploited for for that and it's they just switched immediately and it's just such a crazy thing to see the train of thought just just reset. Did we see a double turn? Was that the uh, equivalent of yes. Stone Cold Bret Hart? Yes, absolutely. It's the most important. <laughs> Having money in the bank and have these things coincide, it's just fate. And then it gets me into the whole Dean Ambrose thing later, but you can't write this kind of stuff. And All right. All right. Yeah, and he I, was I sa- savvy to it. But here's the thing. Okay, so that's one of the things uh, Brian Downey brought up, and we we're very glad about that. But the other thing, this is where he first – started contacting me so he went to go watch the event with you but the day started off with the text straight to me that really seemed to irk me because i'm on a mission here between this podcast and verbal tap 
I make sure that people know when you go to a live event, you should probably not wear a championship belt. And let me explain the reason why. We've already talked about it on the show, but I feel it bears repeating. Part of my issue on people wearing a belt when they go to a wrestling show is the fact that they didn't earn it. So that in itself kind of defeats the whole entire purpose of a belt. If that's the case, anybody could just wear it. And that's exactly what goes on. So my question is always, did you beat the guy from Kmart who sold you that? Are you beating anybody here in attendance? So as a result of watching many years of professional wrestling, I feel that you should be able to challenge for that belt immediately. Now, this is a bit that I've established for a while, and we've joked about it, and we enjoy it. But Brian told me that it's an epidemic. Like, I've seen the belts get out of hand each year at live shows. But this one fact that he sent to me kind of drove me over the edge. The text that he sent to me said that people are now showing up with a championship belt and a money in the bank briefcase. Choose that. What the fuck? Because you can't have both. What the shit is that? If you have a briefcase, you are going to challenge for the belt. That is the creation of the money in the bank briefcase. That is the whole purpose of that. It is to create drama and get excited for that. And if you don't have that drama, then you've just got some briefcase that you're just holding your belt in, which doesn't mean anything. And that's fine if you don't want it to mean anything. But if it's supposed to hold any significant value, the person holding the belt, a.k.a. And this person, the fan who did not earn it, is now carrying around the only way in which you can challenge for it freely. Thus, I am amending this. I will tell you how I'm going to amend it. But just to make sure that I am not making this up, Mike, did you see the same thing? Oh, amplified. To you, you just hit like a broad scope of it, but to really see it, um, we got it magnified to, I saw four people dress up like Enzo Amore with belts and briefcases. So, I mean, it's getting real, real out of hand. Um I'm just trying to figure out a way to get the case off of them. And I know you're about to digress on this, but I just really need your intelligent take on how the case becomes ours first to go back to them. Okay. This is tough because I don't like taking people's property. I feel that you should earn it. But in the same sense, what the fuck did they do to earn that title? So this is where I get just a little worked up. And it hurts because, Mike, if I have to reveal something to you, the fact that this is an epidemic means that I'm failing. I have had this perspective. I have had people that I have shared it with in person. I have shared it on my podcast, Verbal Tap, for years. And to hear that it is a growing problem and now has an additional problem to it makes me realize that some of my life's work isn't exactly coming to fruition so there is a little bit of moment of i'm very sorry i'm trying to do all the work that i can for everybody but now i think that we must amend the rules so therefore i believe it is within your right if you are walking by somebody that they hold to 24 7 rules wrestling fans are able to count to three they love to count absolutely if you are standing on an opponent near the turnbuckle and you are punching them in the face, 
just just look for the one fan not counting in the audience. Do me that favor and let me know if you see one fan not screaming out what number of punch you were on because it doesn't exist. And if they are quiet, they're counting in their heads. So don't tell me that's not fucking happening. However, let's say as the scenario that you have presented here, they have not been very forthcoming and they want to hold both the belt and the briefcase. All right, here's what you do. You can do two different challenges in one night. We saw that yesterday in the live show. So you can take their money in the bank briefcase and say, yo, put the briefcase on the line. Then once you beat them there, then they're going to be terrified of you the entire event. And you can cash it in at any time. You may be going to get a hot dog. No, 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 my friend. Actually, I'm coming to take that belt now. So I feel that these are the important things that I can offer. And you may think that you're outside and you're safe. You may be getting into that Uber. But what's this? Did you just get blindsided? Is the Uber driver a ref? See, people, you have to think it out. It's all about storytelling and how you do the angle. Can I just go buy the briefcase if it's on sale? They're Absolutely. Just, I mean, you know what? The... Fuck it. If they're going to bring two briefcases, you can even just bring your own. And you know what? It doesn't even have to be a Money in the Bank briefcase. Just bring your dad's old briefcase that I used to take to work in the 70s. It could be a duffel bag. It could be a carry-on tote. At this point, I don't even fucking care. All I see is the end result, the end picture of after you cash in, the dejected guy that's laying on the floor, but you just leaving <laughs> The, his briefcase. I mean, at least he gets his briefcase back, right? I mean, he's not leaving empty-handed. He's just laying there in the briefcase. Well, you're not going to lose your luggage. I think that would be rude, but you can yeah, lose no, your belt. The filter on the camera, like the money in the bank briefcase is real high def, but the guy's kind of blurry, <laughs> kind of blurry behind it. You know what I mean? Right. Should have planned out the Vegas trip a little more. Absolutely. And you know, I know that people will wonder, do these people get hurt in this scenario? Maybe. I don't know. I can't promise you. I mean, their pride. I mean, but here's the thing. You think that the wrestlers in the ring don't take their bumps? No. If you want to be a champion, you got to take the bump. So, folks, I guess what I'm proposing to you is this. Maybe in the future. Maybe uh, at another live event. Because, I don't know, maybe I just happen to see that uh, they're coming to the Staples Center for Royal Rumble. Who knows? Maybe in the future, if this is something that you guys enjoy... Who's to say that we just can't go up and interview people who are wearing championship belts and ask them how they earned it? I think that's an important thing. Or, or maybe you guys tell us this. Maybe we show up at places and uh, when we do ask them, you know, how do you win the belt? Instead of like waiting for them to respond, just tell them that we have a professional wrestler with us who is ready to challenge for the belt and just capture their reactions on film. Because I feel like we're reaching that point where every single human being is going to be carrying a belt. And I just, it deludes the importance of the belt. If everyone has one, it's not a participation trophy. Well, back to the original, I mean, going back to the whole culmination, and everything, I think the WWE is kind of responsible for this by sending every major sporting champion, of WWE personalized belt immediately. I mean, that's the first thing I thought when I was like, Oh, the Cavs get their, they're going to get their belts. I think they should have to wear them, too. Like, shouldn't yeah. they have to wear them and put them on the line? Isn't that part of the part of the thing? Like, they put their belts on the line? Stands. I mean, it would be a lot harder to dunk wearing that belt than it is. That should be part of the defense. They should have to <laughs> wear it during the, those belts during the game. Like a ring. You're not wrong. 
you're not wrong. It's just, what the shit? It just, it angers me. I, I mean, I do understand what you're saying. Yes, they are giving them to every sport. But you know the difference in that? Those they individuals did earn it. They beat somebody who wanted that. Like, if you were to send a belt to Steph Curry, he would probably hold on to it until you go, ha you fucking dick. <laughs> this goes to the real champion. Peace. He would be so pissed to have lost that. And if you were to give that belt to someone like LeBron James, who has been wearing all these professional wrestling t-shirts and trolling at a championship level, then yeah, you know, he's now, probably going to look at it and go, yeah, I'll wear this. Now all in my head, is, all I see in my head is a bunch of third world country kids wearing WWE plated Golden State Warrior belts. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. All of the, uh, <laughs> all of the nice uh, add-ons that they use. <laughs> to personalize the customized plates are going to the underprivileged children just blinging around their oh, neck wow. wow yes you know what it is it's not even that it's underprivileged rappers every <laughs> underprivileged rapper is gonna get one of the steph curry customized plates that they didn't end up using it's yeah it's a, i think they're gonna have they can probably start their own label the john cena probably has a whole collection of them oh yeah yeah well the, the issue is you can't see them so you don't know how many he has. Speaking, Speaking of, of which, John Cena, great transition work. Let's discuss the fact that, yes, you were telling me this off air, and I want to ask you this. So you were there. You get excited to go to these things. I know that you've gone to a, basically a million wrestling shows. But when it's happening, how oh, it happened. was that crowd up until the John Cena match? And maybe even let us know if there was a moment where you felt a spark of life there. I mean, I was when I was talking to you off air. I mean, I I always point back to the dude that was falling asleep. That we we were having more fun watching about uh, right after the tag team match. It kind of fell flat. Like I said, they're they're chanting, "Put the game on," and this guy was like basically falling out until Natty did her heel turn. Is where it picked up, and then when they announced that we're doing Cena and AJ Styles, it really felt like the pay per view started. It really felt like something special was going to happen and I think that's what Vegas is good for is that big fight feel and it finally felt like that and me being the fan that I am and Brian being able to understand that us knowing that we were about to see the face of independent wrestling for the last 15 years versus the face of the WWE for the last 10 years something that we never thought we were going to see right down the street it was really something special and the vibe really placated to that I mean it was really a buzz and when the whole fan base, the whole arena gets that back and forth chant going and everybody's dialed in, it's really something special and it's hard to to knock it just just all the way into. How invested were you in the match? Like, we've talked about the setup that, yes, it is uh, AJ, who at one point, if you wanted to see TNA versus WWE, you know, you could have wished for this match about 10 years ago. And yet, they're still both around. Now we have many years that have gone past of even thinking TNA's any kind of relevancy. You're seeing this match. How invested are you, though? Because you've got AJ Styles, as you mentioned, that face of independent wrestling, that symbol of it, versus, like, Mr. Establishment. So how invested were you in the match? And did it pay off for you? It, it yeah, I was I was very invested in the match. I really felt like this is one of the times where they 
booked it correctly. I mean, even with the littlest um, tidbits with how AJ was going to run circles around him and to actually see him run circles around him literally, it just made it made sense. It wasn't TNA versus WWE as much as it was the type of styles clashing. AJ Styles has been so good for so long at that. Um, X Div- he basically pioneered the X Division. He had that cruiserweight but heavyweight aspect to him. So John Cena's always had the uber heavyweight thing where he's t- too stiff and where he's, you know, he could say you can't wrestle chance. But lately with the whole U.S. title challenge and, you know, him really trying, it really clicks well. And I just kind of wanted to see if they could put it all together. And it really, really, really came off really good with the way they not only worked but how the crowd responded i mean aj lets people do things that they normally couldn't do and john cena i mean he was cutting off the ring like he's never done before and that's all testament to aj and i think it came off well until the run-in i mean nobody wanted that and it makes sense in a storyline aspect but um i just think were they they ever gonna do it without a run-in like i think that was part of the magic appeal of that whole Daniel Bryan, John Cena match was that it did come a little bit out of nowhere in terms of that knee being the finish and just in terms of history, like Super Cena kicks out of everything. Like Super Cena might have kicked out of a billion suplexes, but that one knee, man, that really fucked him up at the right time, right place. So that's the feel they want to give you on this one. You know, they did have a little bit of a build, but it wasn't that dramatic build. It's not the major, like, SummerSlam. It's not one of the big four. Money in the bank, they want to treat that crowd well, so it is a pay-per-view. There has to be an elevated status, but did we really think it was going to end clean? Like, if AJ was going to win, in what scenario would they have let Mr. Establishment get beat without a run-in? They've done it too much. They already did it with Kevin Owens, and I think people were expecting it. I think it was... Uh, the right call just in a booking aspect to further the storyline because we're going to you're going to want more of it you're going to want to see um how AJ reacts to the club cuz you kind of still think he's there's still some good in him but I love this heel AJ it's so much of his personality is coming off so much better than when he's goody two shoes <laughs> but um with the rest of the show they needed something to kind of to be to have some kind of longevity because they were going to give you a lot of um, just instant gratification right after it. So it, it came off good. All right. That's good. I was glad. I, I feel like um, it had a lot of the thrills of it. I was, I was just glad to see that people enjoyed it and they got what I would say is their money's worth out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was really, like I said, that's where the pay-per-view started. And it was, it was a really good time. And just like I said, to see all the fans – that into it that's that's what it's really all about so um with with or without whatever finish it was well i was just glad they didn't do too many near falls because i think that's what nxt is good for yeah. and i think like i said they were going to give you the ladders and stuff after it anyway so it didn't have to be so um frenetically booked that it, it just really was smooth for once agreed uh what did you think of the actual money in the bank match though I thought it was cool. It was different. There's, I mean, how many ladder matches have we seen? There's only so much uh, that we can do with it. I really think it let Cesaro like display his athleticism and what he can do with that kind of canvas. Yeah. Um, 
they just keep on teasing us with these little bits of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and what they can do with the ladder and yeah. some of the some of those bumps that they they gave each other like that one where he slammed uh, did the Mishinoku driver onto the ladder mm-hmm. you can't fake that man it's yeah. just those ladders I mean whether they're the lightest ladders or not man you still gotta gotta take those bumps and you gotta balance and you gotta make it look good and it went smoother than than I thought it would but it was it's what you want with that kind of stuff. It's just visually stimulating. These guys are, you know, even when all six of them got up on their little bridge and just were doing the punching, even yeah. just that, just the visual aesthetic of that was cool. Even though they weren't doing anything crazy, they weren't doing like ricochet moves. They were just, they weren't doing any planches. They were just in there hitting each other. But that photo right there, just that, that's what it was all about. So, I mean, it just kind of kept clicking the way it should. Unrelated, but kind of related. Are we just at an area now where Jericho is doing the match for the memes? Because it's not like it's a bad thing. I think that unlike any other person, I think, in in modern history, Jericho has found a way to not still just be around, but be actively around. Like, he's found a very smart way to insert himself into the major storyline. So he is around, put over new talent. And I've never seen anybody use social media to that extent. Like, Chris Jericho might as well be the George Takei of professional wrestling. He understands he's going to cross over. I mean, how many more years does he have left? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not going to get into this at all, but just watching that OJ documentary in the last week, he knew there was a point where he'd have to cross over to Hollywood. And Jericho's been lucky to have such a long career, and he's been writing his books that I think he knows... He has to be internet savvy. No murders canceled uh, or scheduled for him in the near future. Just want to make sure that we're establishing a different narrative than O.J. Simpson uh, entirely. You let the older guys do that. You let the snuckas. You let the lollers deal with that. Then we just, you know what I mean? That's later in life. That's uh, we've already talked about the. Can I unfortunately say were you were you surprised by the Jerry Lawler news? How how old is his girlfriend? Mm Mm-hmm. So no, yeah. I, just, I mean, oh, God, it. I think it's very sad that you're so desensitized, and not just you, but like all of us, myself included. That when I see that headline go up, obviously your first thought is it's a shame, but then your second thought is, am I surprised by this? No, nah. my my immediate thought was just her. Just tell you're wearing that shirt again. Was <laughs> the was the beginning of the argument? Like enough of the bedazzled. <laughs> King card shirt, like this. You're not going out like that. And then he was just—that was it. He just saw, he saw red. And poor guy, the guy almost died on screen too. I mean, I should we just start shooting the movie now? I don't know, man. I just know that it's, it's a weird thing, and I don't know. I, you just wish people well. And in our, our favorite part of the wrestling industry is the one where you get those thrills, you're excited to see them, but anytime it drifts into either a subplot of the wrestler, you just get super bummed out. So, But that's why yesterday was kind of cool, though. You have that aspect of it, but then you also have the weird fate aspect of it. Like, we talked about everything leading up to to the main event. Yes. And just with the aftermath of that and with the NBA all kind of just coming to culmination it was kind of a it was kind of a special thing man i've well, never like you said i've been to a million wrestlings yeah. and that was different 
And we're going to talk about the goosebumps you felt. But the one thing I wanted to bring up is our good friend Downey also brought up the fact that he said, man, it really sucked for Rusev, uh, Rusev to basically be at the very tail end of when people are the most interested in the basketball game. So more people were had a vested interest in this. And my, my note to him was I was like, dude, nobody. Let me just make sure this is very clear. Nobody is crying for Rusev because he lives an okay life when he goes home. And, uh, do you think he even watches basketball? I mean, that's a stereotype on it, right? So we just got to go, go with that. I feel bad for Titus. I mean – they put his kids ringside, like he, they yeah. took his kids away from the last two minutes of the game for that. I mean, I get it was Father's Day, but <laughs> that'd be so sad to be one of his kids being like, "I don't want to watch Dad. I want to watch LeBron." Be like, um, "If you want to eat this week, you're gonna come watch Dad." But there's something about Rusev having the ultimate trophy in Lana that makes me think, like, "Yeah, dude, he don't give a fuck." He gets to be a pro wrestler, has a hot girlfriend. He just he lives the life. Isn't that it, that's what it's all about? You know what I mean? It's just got they got to keep it straight. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's the only that's the only thing. Absolutely. I just don't. Or we just got like I said was off air. Like, are some people just better at keeping it under wraps? I mean, does Big that's E get groupies? We don't hear about it. I mean, he's just know. he's just that much more low key on the DM. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Gotta go to those after parties. (laughs) I think the idea was, I love the fact that you were telling me this, and I still we're we're getting to the main event, but this is why it's it's the coinciding of the NBA and this all together. I I can't get over it. But you were telling me that there was somebody who not only fell asleep, who was the collective temperament of the internet, who only awoke when AJ and John Cena were going after each other. So if that's not a better metaphor for the pay-per-view. I don't know what it is. But then you had the nerve to mention that there was somebody who was upset that they were going to find out the results to the Cavs-Warriors game. It was funny because when I came from watching the end of it, I was walking behind the two guys with the Cavs jerseys and they were ha- they had them in the air and like showing people like, but, you know, we won and people were cheering and stuff i was like man if he, they better not get to the, down where we are because that guy's day night is going to be ruined <laughs> because he went out of his way to tell us and i don't know if brian was talking to the guy next to us or he saw that we were checking the score but he was adamantly you know telling us that he didn't want to know anything about the game and i'm like good good luck with that leaving you're going to have to leave this arena somehow around and my thing is, where did the fucking Cavs go? 18,000 people there, but you're going on to the Las Vegas Strip. The Cavs in- showed up in Vegas because they're like, you know what? We could have our after party in Vegas or go back to Cleveland, and we're in Vegas. Okay. It's, it's on the way. It's right down the street from Stanford. <laughs> I mean, with the private. Come on, man. That's so, such a horseman thing to do. Anyway, you know what I mean? Isn't that so great to be able to tell someone, like, take me to Vegas? No, you know what? Take me to New York, private jet. Take us there. And, like, what are you going to say? No. Change your mind. Well, that's what I'm, I thought that randomly by myself. I was like, were they in the air? And somebody was like, hey, let's go to Vegas. And then, like, Tyron Lou was like, hey, he had to go talk to the pilot. Like, yo, 
this is a new game plan. He got out the, you know, the easel board. It was like, you know, this is the route to, this is what we're doing. And like, aye, aye, let's go. You mean? And how have we not even talked about the Stone Cold moment at the Cause, NBA? Because that's how everybody treats Kevin Love. What do you mean? That's, that's such a Kevin Love thing to do. Like, he was wearing, and he's even trying to sport the smoking skull belt, and nobody cares. It's LeBron. You know, if LeBron gives him the, the push, I guess, okay. Has he given us the green light? Because, I mean... I still think the funniest meme was him hugging LeBron from back and being like, this means I can't be traded, right? <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But, I mean, it was a good day to be a pro wrestling fan, even if more people were watching the NBA. Because that whole NBA final was diluted with wrestling allegories, allusions, references, whatever the fuck you want to call them, metaphors, parables. Everything. It was all jam-packed in there. Which brings us to our main event, which in itself had another parallel. So let's get to the fact that what was the meme that you saw that had the significant fact about this match that most people know about now who have seen that meme, but still is significant to talk about? Yeah, the, the, the first faction. Not only the first faction to hold the belt completely, but they all held the belt in the same night. That's insane. Like, I didn't wrap my head around that until I saw the meme. Like, yeah, Reigns walked in as champion. Seth technically won the belt, and then Dean cashed in and leaves. I mean, the Shield have taken over completely. They took over the whole theory of it, just took over a whole show and took the main event scene over by storm. It's, it's, it's an insane thing to think about. It's a great fail-safe option that I, I think – Makes sense because when they did break up, people were sad that they didn't get to see them together. So that's a kind of a bummer for information for people to process. But at the same point, then you get a night like last night where they get to all do their thing. They all get a moment to shine. Now the question is, Mike, did Vince know something that we didn't? Did Vince know deep in his heart? That the NBA would fix this whole thing to a Game 7 and that the collective zeitgeist would require a Dean Ambrose championship. Was that something that he felt in there or like when do you think that decision was made? Was it made that night? Was it made a week before? Was it made right after the game ended is what I thought. Did they, did the buzzer go off and you know it was either if golden state wins we're not doing this or if cleveland wins ohio's gonna get gonna get real over right now or was it in the works the whole time because of the way they've been writing it then brings you the fourth option it was like was it fate and yeah. nobody wants to think anything's fading anymore you gotta you know, yeah, know. you gotta no, fantasy gotta book it you got a fantasy illuminati it to some well, point because like, everybody thinks that vince is backstage being like have they fucking won it yet just give it to them. Then, like, waiting over, and Dean's just, like, pacing around in a circle, and he's like, Dean, you get out there, and you bury him. <laughs> and they're just like, okay, cool. Now, uh, I guess that's the fun part to me, but to you, what did you think of the match, and how did it play live? It was it was fun to see Seth Rollins back. I mean, that was his... Technically, his first match back. I saw him at WrestleMania. I'm a big Seth Rollins fan. I get into the whole. I went to dinner with him when he was in Ring of Honor. But again, it felt like a big fight feel. But then when we got into the match, it kind of 
you know, didn't have the same feel as the AJ Cena thing. They were kind of going through the motions until they got to the end spot, and people were actually talking about it when we left. When Seth, when Roman went to hit the spear and he turned into a pedigree, Mm -hmm. it really got the crowd's attention. One, because it was a cool move, and two, we knew something was going to happen. Now, the way it ended felt kind of forced. Um, you know, Seth just winning like that, you expect bigger moments. You know, he picked him up for that second pedigree, and that was it. It was very reminiscent of when um, CM Punk beat John Cena at SummerSlam. Just they ended it real quick, and that was all the tie-in when Kevin Nash jumped the rail and Del Rio cashed in. It just felt kind of... They didn't really book the end of the match like smoothly but it wasn't about that it was about the cashing and so with that being said the minute his music hit and we knew that was going to happen i i've been a lot around, around a lot of wrestling wrath that was that was something else I've, I've never been around something like that before because not only people didn't expect it but people wanted it and they and they pulled it off and it was it was special it was it was kind of emotional it was it, the place was shaking, literally shaking. It was so. It was. A, it was a really fun time. Because you think that if you go through some of those like WWE and anthologies, there are sometimes when you look around and you go, "Man, that that guy never held the world title. He was world class. He was there." I felt like with Ambrose, if it had been a different era, he could have been one of those people who would never hold a title has a great connection to the audience, understands it, does great promos, does some batshit crazy things in the ring, definitely has earned it, put in his time. But you always wonder, like, would they do that? And then yesterday when they pulled the trigger, I was so happy for him. I was so stoked that they they took that. It's not even a risk, but yeah, let's say it's a risk yeah, for them. Yeah, they did it. But that they pulled the trigger, and not only did they do that, but that when you subside all of that and you take a moment to really think about what it means, you have a moment where you just think to yourself and you say, how long is this going to last? And I think that's the kind of weird hangover that you have the next day. So that's what I would like to ask to you, which is how long does he keep the title? And if by the time we post this, does he still have the title? Because raw has not yet aired in our time zone. It doesn't matter. Look at what happened to Zack Ryder. It doesn't matter. It's the moment. That was reminiscent of a WrestleMania moment. Okay. Now, what they're in the long run, being smarts that we are, they're guaranteed there's going to be a shield triple threat somehow with the brand extension. I assume with Raw, you said Raw, I just assume they're going to strip him some way tonight. You know, I, what I, when I went back and watched it on TV, being that I was there, of course, I felt like this was a stone cold moment for once he's not as a tweener hardcore as stone cold but he has that same kind of attitude where it's almost like cm punk plus stone cold equals dean ambrose where he can be funny he's frenetic but he's still a rebel and i feel like he finally got a stone cold moment with they're taking a chance they're yeah. pulling a trigger that's the first rule of business is taking a risk and they're gonna do it but they have seth to fall back on they have roman to fall back on with this triple threat, either at SummerSlam or if they can hold it till Mania, which I think they'll have a bigger um, aspect to where they actually reunite and go against the Bullet Club in some Better aspect. Right. But they have so much to fall back on because these guys work and they put so much time into Roman and they did the experiment 
and they pulled it off and they tried and it's just not yeah. selling. Yeah. It's not making money. So this is a house show thing. People want to see Dean Ambrose and get behind Dean Ambrose other than maybe get behind Roman and get behind some of the stuff. No, this is a full-blown get behind for yeah. once and I think they're going to ride it out if it's a week or a month, but they have a lot of cool stuff to fall back on. Do I, Triple H might even just come out and give Seth the big gold belt, make him the face of SmackDown, and Dean's like, wait, what about me? And then you can put up Roman and just be like, well, those are both my belts, and just go from there. We don't know. And that's what's fun about this. They actually have some talent and some history where they can build off of it and have a, a, a safe catch for once. And, you know, it, it all pans out good in the end. Well, that's... I like where this is heading. I, I would love it if they just handed him a belt because that's the most heel thing to do is you didn't earn this, but here, take this other brand belt. I think that's good. I, I like where uh, where you book that. I don't know, man. You know, I, I like the possibility. I'm hoping for the best just because Dean has given us some of the best highlights over the past couple of years just in terms of psychology, which is so hard to explain to people. And that's the... That's the reason why the three of them work so well, I think, in the the kind of uh, branding of them as the shield is that they all brought something a little unique and different for each other. Because sometimes you wish Roman Reigns could do some of the things on the mic work. And then I love the fact that they're talking about how, you know, when they're talking about Cleveland champs and you got Dean Ambrose, who's representing, at the same point, all you can think about is there's somebody who said... Uh, another person from Ohio who's highly uncoordinated yet holding a championship. Two white people. Yep. Two uncoordinated white dudes. Yep. Yeah, bro, he put in all this work at CZW. They even took the time to, you know, that, that stuff takes your toll on him. He walks through a lot of his stuff, but it doesn't matter. Like, you brought up the psychology. There's, there's a certain char- charisma aspect that you can't, you know, you can't teach, not to sound cliche or... You know, that's just natural, and, and he has that, you know, and it's such an ebb and flow with yeah. how they're booking him. But I think yesterday was, was the right call, and it was really, really special to that energy, man. It was it was something else, and I think that's just what society needs, that kind of frenetic figure to be like, oh, he's crazy. Oh, shoot, this is what wrestling's supposed to be about. It's crazy. What are we going to do? Like, JBL was just like, this is the worst. Yeah, paint that picture. Like, it's going to be chaotic. That's what... You know, you need to to separate from, you know, the Roman and the slow and the no. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go with Dean. So it's it's fun. Okay, okay. Well, that's good to know. Okay, I like where all of this conversation is heading. Uh, I did want to bookend it by just uh, allowing you to say what I thought was a really unique thing, um, just about the aftermath of it because. Yeah, you know, Dean Ambrose. We're gonna see those storylines. We're gonna see where it goes coming up really soon. But it's really hard to encapsulate the scene that happens after one of these pay-per-view live events. And, uh, you know, you and I, we've gotten food or beers or we've gone out afterwards. And it, it, it's hard to describe what it is because sometimes those wrestlers are going around, they're doing their own thing. But their crowd has its own feel and vibe. So you were telling me off air, what's the difference between maybe a few years ago going to see a pay-per-view and then going to a bar afterwards to, let's say, now. Everything evolves, you know what I mean? And with this arena and the way uh, it's structured, um, 
it was just a different vibe yesterday. It kind of felt there was when I was leaving WrestleMania, everybody was real pushy and there was this real sense of urgency to get out and it was real claustrophobic. But the way they set this up and with the Cavs winning the way they did and with Dean Ambrose leaving on the high note, it was really like a fun aspect, man. You see everybody with their belts and their suitcases. Now everybody's got their chairs. You know, I mean, the privileged are walking around with their front row chairs and, you know, talk about puffing your chest out. But when we went to the bar in the open space, you know, it's it's kind of comforting and especially watching wrestling for as long as we have. You know, where you're sitting there, you see all the regular people, but then you turn your head and you see a Cesaro shirt, you see a Kevin Owens shirt, you see a Sami Zayn shirt. And to see, you know, you're, you feel like they're your peers. You're watching them when they're young and you see them wrestle for 10 years. To see that in the, the mainstream on the Vegas Strip when people are, you know, implementing it into their daily lives, it's actually a really cool thing to see. It's actually really comforting and you can actually talk about it makes you feel like you're in the bullet club. You're in the you're in the wrestling club out on the strip. I was the misfits invade. I always love when a punk rock concert um, ends and you have to walk through Mandal- Mandalay Bay Casino and the you know the real people get you know involved with the misfits and it's just such a frenetic you know you know crossover that it kind of happens with the wrestling fans. But I think the wrestling fans are a lot smarter. Um, and it's, it's, it's good. It's a good scene. It's a lot. It's not how it used to be, man. It's not back in the attitude. Everybody was real smart and they wanted to be stone cold. I think mm-hmm. people are a lot more, more intelligent and savvy with the way they're acting. It was just a good vibe yesterday. And that's always fun, man. And you know, a lot of people have bad things to say and they want a fantasy book, but yesterday really left a good vibe the way it did. And it was, you know, it was fun. That's rad. Well, Guys, I think that is going to start to close it out for us this week. We want to thank you guys for listening in to our Money in the Bank review. I cannot say enough nice things uh, about our good friend Brian Downey for uh, wanting to uh, contribute in as a fan reporter. I think he almost is a, I wouldn't say a contributor, but he definitely did add something to this week's podcast. So credit to him for uh, sending in live reports to me. Well, he's Uh, the whole reason he got, and he's the whole reason his wife was, you know, his wife is so cool that that Father's Day, that's what she wanted to do for him. And the first thing he did was call me because that's what we do. We go to WrestleManias and stuff. And he kind of knew, you know, just having him there and be able to bounce off each other and find the guy that was sleeping and be able to talk about it in a smart way and be able to think that the spots are coming up and be able to have that. It's a really cool thing. And to his credit, man, like I said, I got separated from him. I came back and he was like, Mike, you know, I was just thinking the whole time. I just want to be around my kid. So he's such a good guy to where that's on his mind. But, you know, it was really a cool thing that he can, we can have the best of both worlds and that it contributes to it, not only, you know, in a wrestling sense, but also like in a theory sense. So, yeah, he's, he's always here. Yeah. And uh, his wife is one of the coolest people. Like, they just, they get it. They love wrestling. And it's nice to see uh, couples who are like that. So, uh Fun, fun stuff for them. I, I cannot say enough that enough nice things to him. But my, my favorite Ashley quote of all mm. time. Randomly, she was cooking, and she goes, "You're either Nexus or you're against us." <laughs> I was Nexus. <laughs> like out of nowhere. Like okay, <laughs> that's okay, Ash. Like yeah, just raise the fist. Raise <laughs> your armband. It's the fucking dream, dude. You know, it's like the moments that you know she's a keeper. That that's one of them. So, 
uh, like I said, and the, the fact that they have a wonderful young daughter that they can take care of now is, is even better. And I'm, I'm glad he missed her, but he needs to have a little fun because here's the thing that you may not know about our good friend Brian. Brian has a little bit of mischief in him. Like, I think he's perennially, like, five years old in, like, the immature sense. Like, he's got a job. He takes care of his family, all that good stuff. But, like, you get him at a wrestling show, there's still, like, that five-year-old kid brain inside of him that's like, yo, what if I did this right now? And We got, we got Frank the Clown. Not to come to town anymore because it's so good. Yes. There is the Frank the Clown story, which one of these days we may tell you guys on this show. We'll see. But uh, our shout-out to him for making all of that happen, for you going to uh, do that as well. Mike, can we take care of any other shout-outs for you as well before we get on out? No, it's good. Just get, you know, pay attention to Douglas James, man. It's a big Absolutely, deal for the, for the bell against B-Boy. B-Boy's been wrestling for a long time. Doug's got a bright future ahead of him. He's been really cool ever since... Uh, we've been talking about him. It got me to stop cutting a heel promo on you, putting myself over to where I'm really excited for this guy. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I think, uh, like I said, Doug's good, one of our good friends. It looks like we may have some other people coming up to do interviews with, so uh, keep a lookout here. Tell your friends if you like the show. And most importantly, you guys, always remember, the work of a good heel is always to not just criticize, but to think through critically. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will catch you next week. Tweet me.